Bible to Revelation chapter 13. We've been speaking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> as far as this world is concerned, the, great, the next great advent <clears throat> will be the second coming of Jesus Christ when he sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives and splits in half. And he sets his kingdom up for 1,000 years and has the judgment of the sheep and goats and allows certain people to go in the millennium, certain not to. There won't be a whole lot survive the seven years of God's wrath a time of God's wrath, Jacob's trouble. Uh, only uh, about a quarter of the world's population, from what I can figure, will survive that. That's how serious the thing's going to get. <clears throat> it's going to be a global warming, all right. The Bible said that he's going to cause the sun to scorch the earth. You know, I figured they've been talking about it so much, he's just going to give it to them. And so he's going to cause the sun to scorch the earth. He's going to cause... Everything that they've imagined bad is going to happen, and a whole lot more they haven't imagined. And so uh, the thing of it is, you'd think they'd repent. When you think, well, now I will say this, I will say this, that the Bible makes it clear in Revelation that there'll be so many people saved during the tribulation period that they'll be as the sand of the sea without number. So there will be, there will be literally, I'm going to say hundreds of millions of people saved during the tribulation period. I'm not going to say a billion, that would be maybe a seventh of the population, but I'm going to say hundreds of millions. The, the phrase, as preacher, as the sand without sea without number, that's big. It has to be big. It can't be hundreds of thousands. It's got to be hundreds of millions, and maybe even up to a billion people be saved. So here, the times are going to, and there will be a group, but the majority, the majority, the vast majority of the world is not going to turn to God. In fact, they're going the other way. And what I want to talk about is the other way. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 18. I'm not going to be able to explain everything in the passage, and I'm not going to try. We're going to try to hit what is explainable. There are certain things in Revelation that I just don't think we're going to get to know. There are certain things that are put there not for us, but they're put there for the group that are alive during that period of time. How many Bibles do you think there are in the world? A lot of them. There's Bibles everywhere, and there's Bibles everywhere, and they're going to hunt for these Bibles. Uh, there was a movie, I did not watch it, but there was a movie made called The Book of Eli where there was only one Bible left, one Bible left, and how they were killing people to get to it because they knew the words of God were going to help them. Well, that's the world's rendition of that whole thing, but uh, Eli meaning God, you know, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, that's where they got it. But there's going to be a lot of Bibles, and when these catastrophes and world events begin to happen, they're going to say, did not one of them Christians, a wild-eyed, fundamental, 
Baptists tell me something about 666 one long time ago, and they're wanting me to take a number on my right hand or forehead uh, in order to buy and sell. And so, uh, hmm, what is that all about? So let's read the passage, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 13. And uh, then I'll make some comments on at least just half of the chapter this week and half next week. I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the na heads <clears throat> the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were the feet of a bear, and his mouth was the mouth of a lion, and the dragon the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority, three things. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who was like unto the beast? Who was able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking a great thing, and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months, three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, and to blaspheme his name, three things, his name, his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. And this is a little bit sad for me, to overcome them. Now, those people that are saved during this period of time are saved just like you're saved. They're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells them. <clears throat> and uh, yet, they are not promised deliverance. In fact, they are promised death. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give him a crown of life. They're going to have to pretty much, not all of them, of course, but in, in, in big numbers, these people that believe in Jesus during the tribulation period are going to be overcome by the beast, and power was given him over all kindreds. Notice the power. It's all about the power. Power was given over him over kindreds and tongues and nations. And notice the word all. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life and of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, those not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, all of them. And that's a special a group that receive the mark of the beast. They cannot be saved. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity, and he that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Live with a sword, die with a sword. I think comes from that phrase right there. Live with a sword, die with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. That's as far as we're going to go tonight. Revelation chapter 1 emphasizes Jesus Christ. He's the center of everything. As our brother said, I think this morning, I don't know who said it actually, but Jesus is the whole purpose and center. I think maybe Cronin said that in the Bible. The theme of the Bible is redemption. If you want to just take one word and say, what's the Bible about? It's about redemption. It's about the redemption of man by God. And then the details are just filled in on how, how the men fail and God succeeds and how, how God plans and how, how God is patient, merciful, and kind, and eventually you know, presents salvation through his only begotten son. But Jesus is the centerpiece of it all. He's the center of all history. And everything that the, the, the people from Adam 
all the way to Jesus looked forward to him coming and dying. All of those lambs that were killed, especially the yearlings, ones without spot, without blemish, uh, symbolized Jesus Christ that was to come. That's why John the Baptist in 129, when he looked at Jesus on the shore of the Jordan River getting ready to get baptized, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That was to a Jew. Now, to us Gentiles, that's like, well, what's the big deal? Well, they had been killing lambs uh, uh, ever since Moses and bleeding them out. And, and who likes to kill a little yearling lamb, a little innocent yearling lamb? Nobody would. Nobody get any joy out of that. <clears throat> Here's the Lamb of God who take away the sin of the world. When he said the world, he meant back all the way to Adam, all the way to the last person that ever is going to live. Jesus Christ's blood is enough to save everybody that ever took a breath or ever had consciousness of life. Shame on the Calvinist. Shame, shame, shame on them for trying to limit the blood of Jesus Christ and trying to somehow not make it enough to, to cleanse the whole world, if they would believe. Otherwise, it's a, it's a hoax. It's a farce. If he says, whosoever will may come, but whosoever don't really mean whosoever, then we're talking about words and couching different meanings and common words. No, God's not like that. God's not like that. He means whosoever will, he means it. Well, the first chapter is about Jesus. Second and third chapter about the church. Because right after Jesus comes his people. Right? You and me. You're his church tonight. If you're born again of the Spirit of God, you've repented and trusted Christ your Savior, you're part of the church of Jesus Christ. You have an inheritance which is undefiled. Everything you own is defiled. You buy a brand new vehicle, the day you drive it out of the parking lot, it'll be defiled. I mean, you buy a new, 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 new clothes are defiled. Everything in this world is defiled. You're defiled. Buddy, we have an inheritance undefiled. Cheer up, you saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. Nothing to make you feel afraid. Nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails. So why don't you trust him and shout? You'll be sorry you're worried at all tomorrow morning. That is so old, they don't know how old it is, by the way. That song is so old, nobody knows how old that is. That goes back before the record keeper. And I know them old boys were saved, like, I'm saved. And when the, when the dark wants to close in around you, you just sing, cheer up. You say to God, everything's all right in my father's house. Chapter 2 and 3 talk about the churches. Seven churches. There's some opinions that vary among Bible believers, but I believe the seven churches represent seven types of churches. That those seven types of churches exist in any age. Out of the seven churches, there were really only two that he didn't have one bad thing to say about them, but both one of them was very poor and one of them was under persecution. And, and uh, we're not either. So I got a feeling he'd probably have a few things against us. I just hope we're not Laodicea that think we're rich and have need of nothing and we're blind and poor and naked. I hope we're not. I don't want to be that. But then you have after the church, you have John in the fourth chapter, beginning of the fourth chapter, he says, come up hither. And it's been agreed by those who believe in the rapture that that is probably an indication of when the church is taken out because the church is never mentioned again in the book of Revelation. And, and now you know the church is mentioned before that over and over and over. And all of a sudden, chapter 4 comes, you said, come up hither. And, and, 
and he was snatched up in the spirit, you know, and all of a sudden John, all of a sudden from that point on, John don't mention the church anymore. But he does mention Israel. And he does name 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 out of each tribe, being picked as being witnesses and going out there and being witnesses. What they called 144,000. Poor Joe, witnesses so deceived without the Holy Spirit. They think that's their group specifically. And every time I meet one of them, I always say, are you a virgin? And, of course, they get this funny look on their face when I ask them that because obviously from looking at them, they're not. If you're not a virgin, and I love the women that come by, I say, are you a male virgin? And they're like, what are you kidding me? I said, well, if you're not a male virgin, you're not part of 144,000, no matter what you do. Chapter 4 and 5, we see the scene in heaven. 24 elders, the four beasts, a sealed book. A lamb comes and opens it up, and woo, they have a spell when the lamb qualifies to open the seals of the book and to break them. In chapter 6, you have the seal judgments, or seven, the seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven vile judgments. Each the, the seventh of each judgment opens up the next seven, and then the seventh one opens up the next seven. You have 21 overall judgments spanning, I think, spanning most of the tribulation period, because it starts in chapter 6 and goes all the way to chapter 16. And, and, and when the vials are released, actually all the way to chapter 18, and so it seems to me most of the tribulation period is going to be time of God's wrath on man. Uh, they have slain the prophets. They have defiled God's people. And he's going to cause them to drink the blood. They've shed so much blood, he says, I'm going to cause you to drink blood. So we have the seal judgments open up. And then you have in chapter 7, I think of what is a holy parenthesis. That's when 144,000 Jewish Virgin male preachers are, are sealed out of the world. And these are from every from the 12 tribes, not all the 12 tribes, but the 12 tribes that are mentioned there. There's some discrepancy there, but you, you, I'm not going to go into that. Chapter 8 and 9 are the trumpet judgments. They get a little bit more severe. The seal judgments are severe, but the trumpet judgments are a little bit more severe. So as these judgments continue, they escalate in severity till finally you get to the uh, vile judgments, when they, the, the first three are woe, woe to the earth, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Chapter 10 through, chapter 8 and 9 are the trumpet judgments. Chapter 10 through 14 is another parenthesis. Chapter 10 is a strong angel in the little book. Chapter 11 is the two witnesses. Chapter 12 is the woman and the dragon. Chapter 13 is what we're going to talk about tonight, the unholy trinity. Chapter 14 is 144,000 again. In chapter 15 and 16, it picks back up with the judgments and the vile judgments being more severe. Then in chapter 17, you have ecclesiastical Babylon. What is that? That's, that's, that's false religion. That's false religion in every name and every, every size and every shape is going to be finally judged. What a day that will be. See, the world will be moaning and groaning and mourning about this, but the saints of God won't be. We're not going to be mourning. I'll be glad when false religions judged. And then after that, uh, you, you've got in chapter 18, economical Babylon, because the love of money is the root of all evil. And uh, right behind the whore of religion comes the whore of money. People have sold their souls for money. They've sold everything they've ever had for value for money. They've chased gold like it's a god. They, I think well, I, I was there when they brought in a Nuestra Dea Toshin, 
July, I think it was July, ah, I forgot, July 15th or so, 1985, my brother Jim and I were down there lobstering. We heard over the radio they found the mother load. We could see them visually. They were about three-quarters of a mile, mile away from us. We watched them as they came in. We followed them into the dock. Went to the dock when they began to unload those 75-pound silver bars. Uh, we still had, still had animal bones on some of them because they put their animals down in a hole. Still, it sunk in 1635. It had been in the water a long time, 1635 to 1985. Sixteen years that old chicken farmer, Mel Fisher, hunted for that. Gave his boy, drowned, his daughter-in-law drowned. Uh, he lost all of it. He had to sell the interest in it to where he only owned 5% of it when he did find it 16 years later. People said he was a hoax. People said he was a liar. People said he was a con man. And finally he found it. And then shortly after that, he got sick and died. The IRS hounded him. The state of Florida hounded him. The federal government hounded him. The government's not your friend. You get something they want, and they'll be all over it. You don't have any rights. They went after him and caused his, made his life really horrible. It was, I think he went to court 150 some odd times. So finally they said, it's not the federal government's possession. It's not the state's government. It's yours because you found it. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. I think your method of, of interpretation will, inter will, will determine what you and how you, what you come out with of the book of Revelation. You if you interpret this book symbolically, uh, you'll get a vast variety of possibilities. If you interpret this book allegorically, that is, as it's, it's a story, you'll get a vast variety or array of possibilities. But if you interpret the book of Revelation and really the rest of the Bible, especially in this case, the book of Revelation, Literally, you will get in its normal sense of language, like you read a newspaper, like you read a magazine, you will get a very, very narrow uh, a set of possibilities, which, are, by the way, are repeatable generation to generation to generation. In other words, I can read the book of Revelation in a literal sense and come up with what it means. A guy down the road 300 years from me Different language, different country, you know, different continent can read the same book. He'll come up with real, real close to what I believe. And the guy 300 years from him will do the same thing. Different continent, different language, gets the same result. Why? They take it literally. The first, I said this morning, the first three centuries of, of, of Christians, generally speaking, believed in the premillennial, uh, uh, pre-tribulational rapture and premillennial coming of Jesus Christ. They believed like we believe. Or do we believe like they believe? I think that's right. They were before us. Why? It's all about the way you look at it. If you look at it, I, the cults, let me give you this. The cults look at the Bible in an allegorical fashion. They do not look at it in a literal fashion. If they looked at it in a literal fashion, they would denounce themselves and disband. But because they take it allegorically, that's where they come up with their doctrines. And that's why there's Four different groups of Jehovah Witnesses all saying the other groups are heres heretical. Well, let's look in verses 1 through 9 here real quick tonight. I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his ten horns, upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. Let me give you some thoughts about verse 1. Thinking all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is what the 
theologically calls the Proto-Evangelium. Even the first light, the first promise of a coming deliverer, it said that the seed of woman would crush the serpent's head, but the serpent would bruise his heel. There was still the dark aberration uh, and antagonizing uh, a beast all the way mentioned in chapter 3 of Genesis. Yes, there would be a seed of the woman that would conquer. There would be a seed of the woman, Messiah as we know him, would come and it would crush the head of... How do you kill a snake, girls? No, you don't stand on the chair and scream wildly. How do you kill a snake? You better crush its head. Grab it by the tail, see what happens. Grab it by the middle, see what happens. Grab it behind the head four inches and see what happens. It's going to get you every way. There's only one place to kill a snake, and that is in the head. You've got to smash its head. And so... All the way back then, it talked about the Christ who would smash the and, and the power center. Remember what we read when we read those verses? Power, power, power. Gave authority, gave power, gave authority, gave power. That's what Jesus crushed. He took the right away. The evil one. And for every Cain, there's an Abel. For every Janus and Jambres, there's a Moses and an Aaron. For every Babylon, there's a Jerusalem. For every Herod, there's a John the Baptist. For every Nero, there's an apostle. And for the beast, there's a Christ. It must be. 1 John 2.18 says, Little children, is the last time, as ye have heard, that the Antichrist shall come. Even now, there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that this is the last time. The, the, the precursor of the specific Antichrist uh, been coming up and going. Hitler was an Antichrist, but he wasn't the Antichrist. He was a Antichrist. There's many of them that come and go. He says even back then, Nero was Antichrist. I mean, the, the people that we... But there's, there's many Antichrists among them. Many, many people take their stand again, but there's only going to be one Antichrist as it were, the beast. Satan is a spirit. Satan's a spirit. And he must operate through men's minds and men's passions and men's bodies, including you girls too in that, by the way, to accomplish his purposes. In other words, Satan must work through a physical person to operate in this dimension. Little twilight zone there for you. There, we're living in a physical dimension. We're not living in a spiritual dimension. Angels seem to be able to appear and disappear. They seem to be able to come into this dimension for a while, then leave the dimension. In the Bible, they would have a fire. They'd go up in the fire. They'd be able to go. So, and the Bible says clearly, and it is in Hebrews one eleven. Uh, the angels are spirits. Are you know not they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them in the heirs of salvation? So we know that that the angels are are not physical beings like we are. They're spirit beings. They can have appearances, but they're still not like we are. We can't come and go like that. And so Satan, to control in this world, has to work through some physical body, some person. I think he, 
He gave it a shot with Mussolini. He gave it a shot with Adolf Hitler. He gives it a shot with this one. I don't think he knows which one's going to be the one. I think we give him too much credit because from, from early time on, he seemed to be raising up Antichrist, his Antichrist, his Antichrist, but they're not the Antichrist, not of the book of the Revelation here. Hadn't happened yet. Satan's the spirit, must work through that to get into this dimension. The beast is given power. Look in verse 2. And the beast which I, I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were a feet of a bear and a mouth of a... I mean, that's a strange-looking That's a strange looking thing. A dragon gave him power. Uh, the dragon eventually gives him power and, and, and his seed and his great authority. Five times in the book of Revelation, uh, the beast is given power. You look it up. Five times in the book of Revelation, the beast is given power. The beast can't generate the power. He can only receive it. The same offer was made to Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4. Satan, Satan came to Jesus and said, if you'll do this, uh, or I'll give you all these kingdoms and all the authority and all the glory and the power that I'll give to you, if you just fall down and worship me. Because this authority has been given to me. See, the authority over this world, the Bible says that, that Satan's the God of this world. He's the prince and power of the air. God Almighty has given Satan that authority and that power to give to whosoever he willeth. That's what he basically told Jesus. Of course, praise God, Jesus said no, no, no. The dragon is the one that gives the power. Look at the look in verse three. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Oh, excuse me, not three. Revelation 12.3. I got to hit myself. Let me, let me go back. You say, who is the dragon? The question should have been put like this. Who is the dragon? Let's rerun that. Who is the dragon? Well, in Revelation chapter 12, and we're in chapter 13, right? So it's contextually right. Chapter 12, verse 3, it says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns. Woo, now that looks familiar and seven crowns upon his heads. Seven heads, ten crowns, ten horns, se ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Further defined, by the way, in verse 9 of that same chapter. Just go down a little bit. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. By the way, there's 14 different names in the Bible he's referred to, each one describing his activity, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels, how many, whose angels? His angels. Seems to indicate in the Bible that about a third of God's angels turned into be his angels. A third of the stars of heaven were cast out to the earth. A third of the angels. That's amazing to me that you can be raised up by God in, in the midst of the throne of God, in the midst of all of that, and see all of that, and go with Satan. That's how good he is. That is how good he is. I've said it for years. You will not be able to sit across the table with the devil and reason with him. You'll be his disciple. The only thing that would stop you would be the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only thing that would save you. It won't be your intellect. It won't be your intuitiveness. It won't be your, your ability to reason. You would be convinced that he's right. It would only be the Holy Spirit in you would be saying, that's not right. That's not right. 
that's not right. But it looks right. It smells right. Oh, yeah. He couldn't deceive the whole world that didn't look right, smell right, reason right. But the trouble is, it's not right. And the Holy Spirit's the only one that can help you with that. Some comments I want to make here about the symbolism of these verses, because they are a little bit confusing about the seven heads and ten horns, something we're not used to seeing. Overall, this is a symbolic presentation. Now, wait a minute. Let me, let me, say, let me explain a little bit about literal interpretation. Literal interpretation understands symbols. Because symbols get their meaning from something. Uh, to literally interpret a symbol, you find out what the symbol means elsewhere, and then that symbol you can apply to where it was said. In other words, it's obvious in the text that it's a symbol. Overall, the symbol presentation of the political sovereignty of the world. We know that the waters from which the beast rises in the first verse is elsewhere interpreted the nations of the world. If you want to know that, look at that. You go to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15. Now, if this is over some of your head, just keep swimming. You won't drown. In 17, 15, he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, that's ecclesiastical Babylon, that's all the false religions, where the whore sitteth are peoples. In other words, you, interpret, you find out the meaning of symbols by the Bible. How does the Bible interpret uh, this the Bible says that this water that this beast comes out of our peoples, our multitudes, our nations, and our tongues. Makes sense. So the beast in the first in the first verse of the 13th chapter that rises out of the sea, out of the waters, out of these multitudes and these peoples and these nations and these tongues. And horns represent power in the Bible. Uh, Revelation 17, 12. And the ten, ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. So on, the beast is, is made up of these kings or, or powers, these horns. And then Daniel 7.24 reaffirms that in the Old Testament where it says in the ten horns, 7.24 Daniel says, the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall rise. So both in Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, and Revelation chapter 17, verse 12, it agrees that these horns are kings, are power, you know, ruling. What are kings? They're, they're power. They're, they're, they're embodied in an individual. The body This body of the beast that comes out of the sea is composed of four different animals. I think this is very interesting. Daniel chapter 7, these four animals that are depicted in Revelation 13, in Daniel, are in opposite order. In Daniel chapter 7, they're in reverse order. Daniel looking forward to this time, he, he, he starts out with the lion, that's Babylon, with, with the bear, that's Medo-Persia, because it's defined in the Bible as this. The leopard is Greece, and the fourth beast is iron, teeth, dreadful, and terrible. That's the Roman Empire. But in Revelation, it's in reverse order. Makes sense. In Revelation, you're looking back. Daniel's looking, he's in Babylon. So he's looking at a power of Babylon. Then he's looking at the next power will be Medo-Persia. Then he's looking at the next power will be Greece. Then he's looking at the next power will be the Roman Empire. Uh, John, he's over this way looking back. You have the revived Roman Empire. Then you have Greece. Then you have Medo-Persia. Then you have Babylon, the lion. 
And it's, it's in reverse order. Oh, how accurate the Word of God is. How could something like this be possible? Written over, uh, let's see, Daniel was about, about four or 500 B.C. Written something like 600 years apart be accurate. Not possible. Except God preserved his word. Wow. The last empire to rise up in this world called the revived Roman Empire by commentators uh, is stronger and more diverse than the first three world powers. The beast will be the most powerful person ever. The beast, not a beast. The beast. Makes sense. The Roman Empire was powerful. I think they ruled somewhere between, was it 300 to 380? I mean, 300 BC, 300. Well, the Greeks were in there too. Well, anyway, they were powerful, but they were running on chariots. You know, right? Chariots, short swords, a little bit of light armor. Uh, that made Roman Empire almost invincible in their world. In our world, we got cruise missiles, nuclear weapons, satellites, lasers, uh, gas, nerve gas, toxic. They said they got rid of all nerve gas. They did not get rid of all the nerve gas. The revived Roman Empire under the beast is going to be vastly more popular than the original Roman Empire. He'll have the power to destroy the entire world many times over. It's been said that we have somewhere around 30,000 nuclear weapons. Israel, they say, has 200 nuclear weapons, but I just read an article. Nobody knows exactly how many. They could have 500 nuclear weapons. If I was Iran, I'd be worried. There can be no kingdom. Why a beast, people say. Why, brother, does a beast rise up in the tribulation? Because there can be no kingdom without a king. There can be no empire without an emperor. The system is not worshipped but the person encapsulating all that system represents is worshipped. Uh, this has been common in Babylon. This has been common in Egypt. This has been common with the Romans. They pronounce their leaders gods. They worship them. With the Persians, the same thing. Paul refers uh, to this uh, beast as the man of sin. Let's take your Bibles. and I'm circling the airport, but take your Bibles to... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, verse 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. And then I'll go to verse 9. Let me talk to you a little bit about this man of sin, this beast that comes out of the sea. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. That's what they call the great apostasia. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above, what's that next word? All that is called God. That is above Allah. That is above Buddha. That is above Jesus Christ. That is above uh, the Shinto God. That's above every God that's named out there. This beast isn't going to just oppose Christianity. He is going to oppose uh, Islam. He is going to oppose uh, every religion that has a leader. He is going to say, there are no other God but me. It says uh, he's going to, that is all called God or that is worshipped. 
so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Jerusalem, under the beast, is going to be given a peace treaty. Go ahead and rebuild the temple. I'll protect you from the Arabs. Somehow he's going to make a peace treaty with them. The Jews are going to feel good. They already got all of the stuff ready to go. In 1994, when I was there in 92, they were ready to build the temple. They had all, everything. They got the, they got the uh, red heifer, the ashes of the red heifer, which were bred in Texas. They didn't have them then. The guy in Texas bred the red heifer for them. They got the ashes of the red heifer, which are for the cleansing of the temple of the temple instruments. They have all the Levites trained. They have all the blocks ready to go. They have the gold. They have everything. If you told the Jews start today to build the temple, I bet they could have that thing up in 30 days, maybe less. That's not going to be Solomon's temple. But it's going to be a temple. They haven't had a temple to worship and to sacrifice in 70 AD. Think about it. The Jews, God's people, haven't had a place to sacrifice since 70 AD. They're not supposed to sacrifice anywhere but Jerusalem. They're not supposed to sacrifice anywhere but on that hill. They haven't been able, all they do now is cut a chicken's neck once in a while and then do a little bit of, they don't do hardly, and they're sick at heart. 1948, God put them back as a nation. That was a miracle of miracles. Never had that happen before. 1948, from 48 to this day, they've had one goal. That's to have a temple. This beast, after the rapture of the church, the uproar it causes, this beast is going to rise up and be given power by the dragon. He's going to make a proclamation that the Jews can build their temple. Now you think he's going to be a friend of them, man. The Bible says that he's going to, at the dedication of the temple, He's going to walk in there thinking to be part of the dedication. He's going to set up his image where the Holy of Holies is, where the, where, the, where the Ark of the Covenant ought to be. He's going to put his image, and he's going to sit on that and declare himself God. That's when Jesus said in Matthew 24, 25, flee. Don't go up to the house to get your stuff. Get out of there because persecution is going to, going to boil over that thing and he's going to start slaughtering the Jews and he's going to start killing people that oppose him and that's when that whole thing heats up. He sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And it's not, it's not just by words, by the way. We're going to find out next week that his uh, protege, the prophet, false prophet, is going to call lightning down from heaven in the midst of them, right? At, at will. And it's, and look, in verse 9 it says, even him who's working has come, has come at, is after the working of Satan with all, how much power? All power, all signs, all lying wonders. The beast is not a system. The liberals want to take, they want to they try to symbolize, they want to try to interpret the guts out of this stuff and make it somehow where it's a system that's going to rise up. It's a political system. It's some governing system. But I can tell you absolutely unequivocally tonight, it's not a system. It's a person. It's flesh and blood. The beast is not a system, as some would want to say, because a system cannot be tormented day and night forever and ever. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, it says, The beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them, that he had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped, 
uh, his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. You can't cast a system alive into the lake of fire. Only people can you do that to. It's repeated again, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. I won't read it, but it's there if you like it. The beast's origin is peculiar. It comes out of the bottomless pit. In verse uh, chapter 17, verse 8, I know it's getting late and I'm hurrying. The beast that's, that thou sawest was and is not shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder. Just like the old Led Zeppelin on Stairway to Heaven, they're going to wonder. Whose, whose names were not written to the book of life or the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is and yet is not and yet is, the beast's resurrection is peculiar. Revelation 13, 3. And I saw one of his heads that were wounded to death, and the deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered. Again, wondered. He's going to be a wonder. Wondered after the beast. People say, it's amazing the liberals say, well, he doesn't really die. His head was just wounded. Uh, Sice, probably one of the most authoritative interpreters and commenters, uh, commentators of the book of Revelation. Sice, um, page 325 says, the expression uh, wounded unto death is so strong and definite and intensified that nothing less can be grammatically made of it than real death, meant to be affirmed. The expression wounded to death means the stroke of his death. That's what he literally interprets it. That whosoever experiences this type of wound dies a wound unto death. Otherwise, why would you call it a wound unto death? It's a wound that causes death. And if you saw it, Doc, you'd say nobody survives that. I think when, when John F. Kennedy, by the way, his autopsy were just released. You want to get on YouTube, you can see the whole thing. Uh, half of his brain is gone. It shows, lifts the thing up, shows half of his brain. When that bullet hit in the back of his head here and blew out the side... What you saw blow up there was half of John F. Kennedy's brain. Now, as a doctor, losing half your brain was be a wound unto death, wasn't it? Wound unto death. Now, if you saw John F. Kennedy walking and talking, you'd go, you would wonder. You would wonder. We saw it. He's dead. He had a wound. It was absolutely terminal. And yet he's alive. The Bible says the beast is going to have that kind of wound, and the world will wonder after the beast. They're going to wonder. The beast is none other than the devil's only begotten son. There have been much in the great empires of the past that men wonder and love at. And in Babylon, they wondered at the golden majesty and splendor of a sovereign rule, always captivating the souls of men. In Medo-Persia was a towering a prowess and massive ponderances of power at which the world has ever stood in wondering awe. In Greece, it was the polish and elegance of intellect and art combined with heroism uh, for liberty for which the human heart has ever been full of enthusiasm. In Rome, it was the idea of justice, of the iron strength of law and martial discipline uh, to which the nations still look in admiration. The dragon and the beast and the false prophet are the ultimate substitutes for the Holy Trinity. It's the devil's masterpiece of deception. 
his pinnacle of all his power and effort. When the dragon gives power under the beast. Father, help us tonight as we go through this passage. Uh, help us not to be overly enamored with this old world. Sometimes this old world presents itself in such a way that even we Christians look at it and say, this is what to live for. But this is not what to live for. What to live for is the Lord Jesus Christ and his will and his kingdom. And the, and the born-again believer's king is Jesus, the son of the living God. I hope you know him tonight. I hope you know Christ is your personal Savior. I hope you can say with assurance from your heart, without question, 100%, if I die today, I'd go to heaven based on the promises of the Word of God and my conforming to them. I believe in assurance in my heart through the Holy Spirit that I'm saved. Praise God for that. This is something you wouldn't want to mess with. If you have any doubt, we're here in a moment. We're going to sing a couple verses just as I am. Why don't you come and talk to us? Why don't you make it a point so we can pray with you? You may be here tonight. You've gotten enamored with this world. And it's easy to. You're out in it 24-7, just about five days, six days a week. Dear one, don't get enamored. That's why the book of Revelation was written. Why was chapter 13 given to us? So we'd see how the beginning, how the end came from the beginning. Only God can do that. It's the only book in the world, only holy book in the world that gives this kind of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus Christ is prophecy. Father, help us to grow, to know, to be serious-minded about God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.